Hi, I'm Jennifer Julian Gaskin. And I'm Giselle Rivera Flores. And we are Don't Don't Touch Touch My My Podcast. Society is trying to be inclusive, but it's not always easy to understand what that means. Each week, we delve into the complexities of diversity, inclusivity, and what it means to be a Latin and Black woman in America. Each episode contains powerful information to help expand your mind, increase your cultural knowledge, and gain insight to a world unseen. Tune in every week with us. Let's talk about it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Don't Touch My Podcast. This is our summer series, Don't Touch My Politics. And today we have a special guest with us. Special guest, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us your Worcester story? Sure. Thank you for having me. My name is Tracy O'Connell Novick, and I'm in my fifth term on the Worcester School Committee. My Worcester story, probably many people, comes from being young, just starting out um, with my career, married person looking for a place to live that was affordable, in my case, on a starting teacher salary. And my husband, who actually is a Worcester native, I am not, and I landed on the third floor of a three-deck on Stafford Street. And that was the beginning. We now have lived here for over 20 years. We've raised three children. The third one will be starting their senior year in the Worcester Public Schools next year. Two of them have graduated already. And that's the story. Tell me, what are your top three reasons for seeking the re-election on the school committee? So I think probably all of them probably boil down to supporting the change in leadership that we established in the last year. So much of the work of the district at its core in terms of direction and priorities and basic stuff like whether or not we're following laws and so forth really come down to the who the superintendent is, how well they're doing their job, what the administrative team is that they have, and then their relationship with the school committee forming that sort of governance team. So really that sort of making sure that Dr. Moneris has a committee that supports her, that is working with her, that is actively striving to improve and to get better. Um, and then some of the things that we're, that we're already partnering on, certainly facilities has always been a, a big one for me, but we, I finally feel like we're finally, we, we have a superintendent who gets it in terms of facilities, both in terms of the history in Worcester and where we've come from on that. And then also where we have worked to do not only locally, but also at the state and even the federal level on that. I want to make sure that the places where We have things that I have been hearing about for years where I feel like we finally could start to make some progress, everything from early early childhood to things like the extended day options for families, to, to basically meeting the needs of families in various kinds of ways. And then finally, the moving forward, and again, this is something where I think Dr. Moneris' leadership is really important, in terms of the ways in which we as a school district reflect the student population and the population of Worcester. And the first thing that people usually think of is staffing in that, and that's certainly true, but it also comes into things like even the, there was a, a class description that we passed last night for the elementary schools where we're adding effectively like another extra, right? So we have gym and we have art and we have music. Students are going to be getting a, a, another period. And what they've done is put together a language and culture class that all of our elementary school students are going to be getting at, in recognition of the notion that 
our kids come from everywhere and our kids, we hear all the time, our kids speak all these languages, but then it too often is just this talking point politically and not something that's actually a lived reality in terms of how adults in the buildings are acting. And I think that's a, that's another thing that we're starting to work on. And I'm looking forward to where that takes us in the next couple of years. You talked a little bit about facilities and different things like that. School safety has come up a lot over the past year or two, in particular, coming back from the the pandemic. There are some new positions such as Dean of Students and Climate and Cultural Assistance to address these issues. Do you think that the Worcester Public Schools is on the right track in this space? I do, in part because I feel like we're finally having The first question, which is when people say, oh, what about school safety? Usually my first response back to them is, what do you mean by school safety? Because too often, and frankly, for too long in Worcester, that meant things like how how were we literally, in some cases, policing our hallways? And it certainly does need to mean things like physical safety, which is what some of the positions like the Dean of Students, um, like some of the positions that actually are going to be working even more directly and being visible in the hallways and establishing relationships with students at some of the high schools. Um, But it also means things like, do we have appropriate mental health supports? And not just because we think, oh, students might be violent if they're not mentally, it's also, are you safe in the building in terms of, are you actually supported? Do you have adults that you can depend on? What about the wraparound coordinators that are actually there to make sure that we're connecting with um, the resources that students and families need? Because this school safety gets into things like whether or not our kids have a safe place to go after school. Do they actually even have a home? We have a high rate of homelessness in Worcester. All of those kinds of things. And also, what kind of work are we doing with our staff in terms of how they actually treat kids. We have these conversations around things like how come our our teacher um, core in the United States isn't more diverse. And my first answer is one of the first questions I think that probably most of us ask as an adult is where do you actually want to go spend time? Um, If you were never happy in school and never felt safe and never felt welcomed there, then you're not going to want to go back there as an adult. And so I think that those things also are part of that work on school safety. I think you're right. When people say school safety, there is a variety of ways in where you can look at that question. And there are different methods to keep kids safe in school. And I think oftentimes we don't look at uh, social determinants, like making sure that they're eating. That's a part of safety and being and making sure that they're housed and all of these external social factors that go into play. So I appreciate having that extensive conversation and making sure that it's not narrowed to just safety as far as physical safety. So I appreciate that. This is the last year for the five-year strategic plan. How do you think that went over the last five years? And what do you hope to see in the next one? <laughs> so the, the, the truism about, the, about strategic planning in general is always, is this something that you're going to do and then it's going to sit on a shelf? And I work with school committees for my professional work too. And that's always the question we ask them, right? Which is, do you have any kind of a goal setting process that's um, active and being checked in on and all of those kinds of things? And the strategic plan was, this strategic plan was this sort of exterior thing that happened to the school district that the the, to the degree that there were successes in the strategic plan, they either were accidental or as a result of things that had very little to do directly with the strategic plan. We can say that we did great in terms of the financial stuff, but that's because the Student Opportunity Act passed, which was something that we and a whole bunch of other people were working on anyway. So I, I think 
we can talk about buy-in, but I think that buy-in starts with whether or not you started with the right people from the beginning. And by right people, if this is actually going to be everyone's work, then you got to have everybody there. So I'm glad that the revamp is starting from the work that in particular Dr. Moneras did over the first several months of her being here, which was going out and just really listening um, and listening to parents and listening to members of the community and listening in different cultural and language and race and ethnicity kinds of situations and having conversations with teachers and staff and administrators and students, remarkably. And then that coming back and her saying, okay, so here are the themes that I've heard over and over again, and us taking those and working then starting really from there in terms of saying, okay, so these were the priorities that we set previously, or that were set previously. These are the priorities that are coming forward from what we've heard. How do we actually now take this to a another, another sort of group that then we'll look through that and then bring back recommendations to the committee. So I'm more hopeful this time. Also, we have a much more deliberate structure in terms of when Dr. Moneras sets goals or sees that the reports to the committee um, are actually part of the through road there in terms of, okay, so this is what we said we were gonna do and we're coming back to you to say, here's something that we're doing that's part of making progress on that. We already saw that these, these past couple of months. And so I'm much more hopeful, I would say, going forward. You mentioned um, the superintendent. So I want to follow up on that. This is her first year. Um, I'm, I'm interested to hear from you. How do you think she's done in her first year? And then what, do you, what would you like to see um, as she continues her tenure here in the city of Worcester? I, we're coming off, we're recording this the day after we evaluated the superintendent. So coming off the high of having done that, I, th this was the first time in my experience where I felt like every member of the school committee was evaluating the superintendent on her actual professional work rather than anything else. And she scored extraordinarily well, particularly for a first year superintendent. And something that I've been reflecting on is also then the comments that not only I, but others put forward about her, which first of all, is that the committee put together a very deliberate structure in terms of actually doing the superintendent's search in being really thoughtful in the language that we used to describe the position and to describe the needs of the community and the degree to which Dr. Moneris has actually answered that has continued to really be remarkable to me. She is someone who, who first of all, is actually literally in this and for the children and not that sounds, as she said last night, that's a cliche that we use in education, but that doesn't mean that it's not true. But she also understands that you can't, like that can't be it. And you can't actually do good work for kids if you're not thinking about all of the adults in the, the buildings with them, which starts with the teachers, but then also lends itself to all of the people who have to, who are there to support the work of the classroom and make it possible. And a lot of her work has been about that kind of thing. She's gone very deliberately to reestablish relationships that were severed or lost or something over the last number of years. She's moved forward very deliberately in terms of everything from her relationship with the city manager to her outreach at the state level. She was on the transition team for the governor to the sort of the, the things that the processes she's establishing and the 
communities she's creating. So we now are, we now have a teacher advisory council. Um, she does very deliberate work with the principals. She's revamped and breathed new life into the, the superintendent student advisory council. She's also very deliberate in her relationships with the school committee in terms of making sure that um, not only that we're appraised of what's going on with the administration, but that she values the fact that we're ears in the community and she wants to have this ongoing dialogue with each of us to make sure that if there are things that she needs to know that she actually hears them from us. So yeah, it's been it's been really impressive. And that's not to say that there haven't been, I think probably errors from being new, but most of them are ones that are, they're not only recoverable, but they're ones that I am really confident that she's someone who learns from things where things go sideways. And that's been, that's been really great to see as well. Thank you. And talking about things going sideways, but also being impressive, Teachers Negotiated, one of the best contracts um, in any district in Massachusetts in the last couple of years. Can you talk a little bit about what that means for Worcester Public School System? Sure. Yeah. And the the negotiations this year have been, you know, certainly there's been lots of press around union activity, not only in education, but across lots of places. One thing that I'm really pleased that we did is not just in terms of teacher's contract, but actually the paraprofessionals contract is that we made some pretty significant moves in terms of the pay for them making sure that continuing to try to make sure that we have staff who, who first of all, know that they're valued, um, which sometimes is monetary, but isn't only monetary, and also paying, but paying attention to the staff who in many cases are, have lower, have had lower salaries traditionally. In terms of the teachers, there's nobody I know in education who hasn't said that the last three years have been some of the most challenging, possibly the most challenging that anyone in this generation has ever seen. And so, that it's, I think it's really important in education to, we're, we're all playing for the same team in terms of making sure that the students get what they need. And that then also translates into teachers and our other staff getting what they need. That certainly is our teachers, but then it goes beyond that into everyone from nurses to school nutrition workers to paraprofessionals and bus drivers and so forth. Yeah. And I, I also think that this is outside the contract, but that also goes into other budgetary decisions that we make. We transferred money on my motion this year to increase the per pupil allotment for uh, student supplies. Um, the attention we're paying to facilities, like there are there are working condition kinds of things that also matter um, in terms of how we treat our staff. And I think that we're paying attention to those things as well as we incrementally make some progress. This school committee <laughs> hasn't agreed all of the time or most yeah. of the time. But it seems that you guys do seem to work well together, probably mm-hmm. better than most, probably better than most of the recent ones. Would you agree with that assessment? And why do you think that is? I would. No. And if I sound surprised, it's because it's something that's still new to me. This is my fifth term. Um, the makeup of the committees have been slightly different every single time. And uh, first of all, I'm not a telephone person. I, I would much rather text, I'd much rather whatever. But this is the first committee where I feel like I can actually pick up a phone and actually have a conversation with any of my colleagues. And I should also say, by the way, that this is the first committee I've worked with. Every single member of the committee has actually had their state mandated training on everything from open meeting law to ethics to finance to everything else. So that's also really wonderful. But if I am looking for the, for someone's perspective, or if I they put an item on an agenda and I'm like, can you just explain what's happening about this? Or 
it like we also all have our different different people that we hear from. So if I'm curious about where is someone here is anyone else hearing this or is that this is really the first committee where I feel like literally every single one of the committee I can actually do that with and that's amazing. And also I feel like this committee nearly all the time is motivated by the right stuff, even as we don't agree all the time, but I don't have the notion that someone is doing something to get their name in the paper or to settle old scores or any of the other kinds of things that sometimes happens in politics. I, I don't think that's actually what is happening in any of our circumstances, which is, which first of all, just makes the, the service on the school committee just nicer and much less draining, but also I think allows us all to pay so much more attention to what we're actually supposed to be doing rather than trying to do these three-dimensional chess kinds of calculations of if I do this, then is that person going to do this because they're actually really motivated by this other thing. So that's been wonderful, really just wonderful. That's awesome. And a way to highlight how everyone has worked together is talking about the new curriculum that the school system has put into place. When you were approving the new elementary English arts curriculum, you felt that it wasn't in the purview of the school committee to get into the details in terms of the cultural responsiveness of the curriculum. Can you talk about why you did vote for it? Sure. So uh, this has been an, a long running point of, oh gosh, not conflict, but a pet peeve. That's a, that makes it sound smaller than it is. A, like a gigantic issue, frankly. Particularly for Molly McCullough and I, Molly chairs the Teaching, Learning, and Student Supports Committee. She has a lot of friends who are educators. She hears a lot about the working conditions of the classroom. I actually was an English high, a high school English teacher before I had kids. And the fact that we were using an elementary school curriculum that we knew and that we have known for years isn't actually supported by how what we know about how kids learn to read has been... I don't know. I don't think it's too strong to say that it's been a nightmare, but it was a kind of a pet project of the previous deputy superintendent. And she had a close relationship with some of the people who had developed the curriculum and that we just were not budging. We were getting nowhere with it. And so the committee, the um, administration moving with alacrity to have two pilots put out there in terms of the new curriculum was a, an enormous relief that we were getting ourselves off of Faunus and Pinnell. Um, the, and then we got into, yes, one of the, one of the sort of dances of the um, school committee service is there are places where we vote, we have a vote on something. We also have uh, advice and consent on a couple of positions. We have that particular level on curriculum. We have, there's a couple of things like that where we have, professionals who do evaluations, and then they bring a decision to us for us to vote. And the main reason that we vote curricula, there's probably two. One is that they tend to be a major budgetary investment. So you're asking for an outlay, and that's definitely under our purview. And then the second is to make sure that there's some sort of a public vetting process for what's actually going to happen in the classroom. And so that's where that happens. In terms of the questions around cultural proficiency and so forth that was within the curricula, I actually did a decent amount of poking around on that on my own because I did see it come up and was seeing not, there were some flags that were being waved on one side and then on the other side, there was actually some, some commentary that was actually less of a concern than was being demonstrated there. I also will say that 
to me, this goes hand in hand with the larger work that we're doing in the district around questions of who are our students and how do we teach them? And um, there's always this balance in terms of giving teachers the right materials, but then also making sure that they have the right support and professional development um, and what they need in order to actually teach the students who are in front of them. And that's never going to be um, just a, a question of, a, of curricula. That's why when we talk about the health curriculum and the sex ed curriculum, part of the things you'll see us continue to hammer to, to come back to is, are we making sure that there's the professional development that teachers need? Because we can give you this great curriculum, but if we're not actually also making sure that you have what you need um, as an individual who's the educator, then the curriculum is only going to get you so far. It's, I think it's, it's both that I have a, sort of a healthy respect for exactly where the line is in terms of the school committee, but also as someone who was taught and who I had a textbook as a high school English teacher. I also had novels, but then I also came in with poems and I occasionally would come in with a short story or I would find an essay. And that's part of the work of teaching, too. I love that you talk, talk a little bit about that student perspective and incorporating that student perspective in how you teach. I think that's a, a very important component. I know the superintendent talks about incorporating the student voice into this conversation, and I think that you share that view. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but how do you see that coming into the school committee work? One of my ongoing things I keep working on that I, I feel like we haven't cracked the safe on or cracked the puzzle on yet. So under Massachusetts General Law, Chapter 71, Section 38M, I think it is, the every school committee in Massachusetts is required to have a student ex officio member who is voted by a student advisory council that is elected by the high school students. So we, in theory, have all of that in Worcester. And we have had some really great ones. Two years ago, we had a, an amazing student advisory, sorry, ex officio member. A couple years before that, we have, we've, we also had one. But I don't think we've yet got a real strong tradition in Worcester of the notion being that every high school, including the alternative schools, which is a change that we on the committee made last year, gets to elect a person who every other month comes to a meeting with the school committee where those students actually set the agenda and that those students choose one of their own members to go to every single school committee meeting and speak on behalf of the students. To me, that's a really powerful thing. And I don't think we've yet managed to get the, the secret out to our high school students about how amazing an opportunity this really is. Um, it can very easily become, here's another line that you can put on your college application. And I know that certainly in a lot of communities, there's that steer in that direction. We have avoided what happened, what I see happens in some communities where there's like a student who shows up and is, and the soccer team won and we have a school play and like, we don't do that. But I don't think we've quite gotten into a, 
it being the norm that there is always a student there, that the student is always expected that they're they're going to weigh in when we're having a deliberation on whatever curriculum, budget, anything else that comes before us. And also that student advisory, um, we have not been faithful in terms of actually having those meetings every other month as we're supposed to. I will say I did have an item on the last agenda to say I want it actually on the calendar. Like I want us to start the year already knowing when those meetings are so that all of us know, including the student advisory, like we're meeting, second meeting in October, what all the way through December and so forth, or whatever it is. Because to me, that's one of the, it's, we're legally, we're supposed to be doing it, but it's also one of the more powerful ways to do that. Now, I will say, I also try in my Gen X way, whatever date in terms of that on this. Part of the reason that I'm active on social media is because it is one of the places where our students check. I actually expanded my Instagram posting during the last election because it was made clear to me that's actually where our students are. They're also on TikTok. I haven't done TikTok. My kids have told me they don't want me on TikTok. That's fine. But if there are places where they are, if we're real about actually wanting to hear from students, then that's that's a place that we should be. We're at the end of our questions. So we want to give you the opportunity (laughs) to let our listeners know where they can find you and any other information that you want to share. Excellent. So my joke is that I'm actually really hard to avoid online. So if you type in Tracy Novick, you will find me. For the campaign, my website is tracynovick.org. That allows you to find the places where I'm on various kinds of social media. That allows you to donate. gives you a place to sign up for signs, which is something we're doing right now, but also hosting house parties, volunteering for the campaign, and so forth. I Try to be really out there and active in terms of twi- Twitter's a place where I live, but we'll see whether or not Twitter manages to continue to, to survive through the election even. But I, you can certainly find me on there. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Facebook. Technically, I'm on LinkedIn, but I don't really do very much there. One thing that I do that I would recommend that people who are interested tune in for is every Sunday at 7 p.m. I jump on Instagram and do a brief live video talking about what's up with the school committee, what's new, what's what's coming down the pike, what we've just done. And again, it, in on that ongoing effort to try to make sure that people know what's going on. I also have been running a blog on Worcester education since 2008, and I try to be faithful in terms of updating that. So that can be a place to check too. And honestly, if you just type in Tracy Novick blog, it will come up. Those are the places I am. This has been awesome, Tracy. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today and just talking directly to our audience and talking to the community in Worcester. We are very grateful for you and making sure that you allow us to amplify your voice. So thank you so much. Jennifer, any last words? I'm just going to say this is Don't Touch My Podcast, the summer season. Don't (laughs) touch my politics.